Hello, welcome to Talking Usework. My name is Rui Branco, and together with Anita Silva, we bring you a podcast where we interview usework experts and practitioners that have a say when it comes to innovation in usework, either because they are using creative methods to empower young people, researching on use trends, or responsible for use policies at international level. Like a shot of inspiration, all of our guests have a unique point of view about how can news workers shake up, upgrade, and innovate on their daily work. Hello everyone, Anita here. So we are at the verge of the annual international UN climate meeting. It will take place um, December this year. And we were talking with Antonio Jovanovski. He is an eco-activist, a trainer, and a social entrepreneur himself. And we were talking about his own path from uh, working as an economist to work on the third sector, choosing a lifestyle that is more connected to sustainability and less to, with material growth. So we discussed a little bit what would take um, for a young person nowadays to make that transition. We talked about the self-discovery that is needed, the reflection, um, how having time off the screen is needed for that reflection to happen. And we also talked about the psychological resilience we need to have to live well with less. Of course, we also talked about what is the role of youth workers in this? How can we support young people to face a world where um, there will be so much change in the job market and how can we um, green youth work? How can we support youth work to become more green, more aware of the impacts that we have in our world and the need, the urgent need to transform our world into one of more sustainability? So we hope that this conversation maybe even inspires you to redesign your life and to think how can you be in a happier position and in a position of supporting the planet as well. So with no further ado, let's talk some youth work. Hi. Hi everyone. <laughs> Should I? Okay. We started at the same time. This is okay. great. <laughs> oh, okay. So you just make the introduction, then I continue. No, we can go. It's just perfect like this. I was just going to say hi anyway. So hi Antonio and hi Rui. Hi Anita. Hi Rui. <laughs> hi Antonio. Hi Anita. <laughs> one like this now for one hour. Uh, so. Uh, as always, we start by saying where we are. Uh, that doesn't change much for us. Me and Rui, we are both in Portugal, right, Rui? Yes. You haven't escaped yet? No, no, no. And with the, the numbers rising, we have to stay. Yeah, exactly. We are recording yes. this in November 2020, and we have the pleasure to have Antonio with us. Antonio, where are you now? I'm in Skopje. Skopje is the capital of North Macedonia. Great. And I, I've been here since March. Uh, it was uh, the last country I visited was Cyprus, and we just came back just after the lockdown. So we were lucky. I was together with the youth at work community in Cyprus, and in March was the lockdown. And since March, we are all in Skopje. I mean, we are all in our countries, I guess. <laughs> yeah, that was the same with me. I was giving a training in Greece, and we had to stop the training halfway and bring everybody home. So yes. it's a special time. Mm -hmm. It really yes. is. Antonio, you are an eco-activist, a trainer, and a social entrepreneur. But I would like you maybe to explain better to our audience who you are and, and uh, what you do. Okay, I'm Antonio Jovanovski. 
born in Skopje here. Uh, my mother is Croatian, so I'm also half uh, Croatian and spent part of my life in Croatia. I have been a trainer since 2003, 2004, when I joined ISEC. Uh, my youth uh, work is uh, based on the ISEC experience, which lasted from 2003 to 2008. And in the last two years, I was president of ISEC in my country and president of ISEC in France. And after that, after living in France for a year and a half, I went to the Netherlands and I worked there for a year and a half as a consultant for uh, strategy and organizational development for the company in North Netherlands in Groningen, I, I, I lived. And in those years, I was thinking about what would be my meaningful career. Uh, where should I spend my, 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 my time and make my income from? Uh, and as an economist, I graduated on economic faculty uh, with marketing. I, I could have easily gone into the financial sector like banks and insurance, but then I rethought re everything and understood that sustainable development is the way to go forward. And this is how I decided to form and create my own NGO. And I came back from Netherlands to Skopje in 2009, end of 2009, and formed Go Green. Go Green is an NGO from 2010 in Skopje, uh, is focusing on youth education and green jobs and green economy. Mm -hmm. And since then, uh, I'm president and board. With a pause in 2015, I worked in Brussels in the European Parliament for the Greens. So I've realized that whatever we do, we need to contribute positively to the environment because it's the, it's the branch that we sit on. Mm -hmm. And uh, any kind of activity should preserve that for future generations. And of course, thinking about my kids and my and the future generations, I understood that whatever I do should be in the in the in the green field. Uh, and the training experience went in that direction with green jobs, uh, with non-formal education. Everything circled around sustainability uh, and green economy, um, and trying to be as sustainable as possible as a person and collectively. And we also have a social enterprise that is including waste pickers, um, uh, informal waste pickers in our country. We have them a lot into a primary waste separation system in residential buildings. And we try to make a social social business model that will employ and formalize them and plus bring awareness among the citizens about primary waste separation. So different kind of activities. Uh, and I'm happy to be with you here and share my experience and thoughts on, on the well, th thanks, you're for ask me. <laughs> <laughs> thanks for sharing. Um, when I was listening to you, I was thinking that for a young person, uh, because you said you, you studied economy and then you decided that you didn't want to go through the path of working for a bank or for a big corporation, but you decided to work on anything that would promote sustainability. And for a young person to make that step, you know, I think it's personally a big thing to, de to decide, no, I'm not going to go the easy way to have a well-paid job in a corporation. I'm going to decide to be an activist um, and work in a different lifestyle. Now, you went through that process. Uh, what, what needs to happen in a young person's head for, for that change to happen? You know, I don't know if I agree with the question. Yes, yes, it's a, it's a nice question. Uh, it's, um, it was a spiritual year. It, it needs a lot of reflection. Mm -hmm. it's need, uh, it, it needs a lot of uh, facing reality. It needs a lot of insecurity in the process because I realized when I was uh, 19 that a lot of my beliefs and perception to the world and how you should behave and how, who you should become are uh, not aligned to what I deeply probably believe or probably are wrong. Mm -hmm. 
So mm -hmm. uh, convincing to yourself that you have been wrong for 20 years is a difficult thing. And it brings you to a lot of discomfort and insecurity. Oh, so yeah. going through this discomfort and insecurity puts you in a spiritual path. Or if you are willingly doing and going through this difficult period, that um, makes you reflect about what is important in general, what is important, trying to distract from your own personality, family and childhood uh, and try to make your own path that will probably be the opposite or will uh, bring you conflicts with your parents, mm -hmm. conflict with your people that have thought, okay, this is Tony Antonio when he was 20, and then trying to reshape what Tony is or what Antonio is uh, at uh, those ages. So in France, it was a spiritual year for me, but in general, the the, the journey in Isaac, uh, the, 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 the learning environment I most cherished was the self-reflection and individual discovery. Okay. And this is where I really like set my path. Okay, this is what I'm going to do. And it's difficult. And it's, I'm doing it because it's difficult. Because if it's easy, everyone else would do it. And since then, I'm an entrepreneur. I'm a risk taker. And I want to go to this comfort. I, I, I don't want to stay comfortable because that makes you mm, slow and passive and just not attentive to reality, probably. Yeah. Do you think that now generations have less that gap you were saying okay for 20 years i thought i wanted to be something and then i got a you know reality check and i decided to reassess my own values uh, who i am and uh, the world we're living and uh, i decided i needed to do something else do you think that now the generations that are more exposed to information about climate change and um, what we need to do to have a sustainable world do you think they have this job easier that they, they kind of discover this sooner um, I think it's a lot more difficult job for young generations because they are in a fog and they are uh, screen attached. They're addicted to technology. Uh, this addiction, um, you know, these technologies exploit our vulnerabilities as humans, mm -hmm. emotions and psychological, which algorithms and smart people in California have figured out with the social media and they are probably having more difficult time to uh, just put the phone down and think and go in nature and be without the phone. So mm -hmm. the first step for young generations now is just get off the screen. If you can manage this for a few days, then you'll probably go to the difficult process of thinking about what should I do and what do I do at the moment and facing that, okay, I should not do this. But then the Difficult thing is that they have the easy way out. And that's, again, let me take the phone and take a selfie and receive likes and feel good about myself, at least for five minutes. And then, again, go through the process of, okay, what's the next thing that society expects from me or my Instagram followers expect from me? So they base their goals, expectations on others and not too deeply understanding themselves. That's why even more the NGO work is becoming even more relevant as I've seen it in the non-formal education because this is mm -hmm. space where we create with the NGOs projects and the learning environments where we really when we do trainings we put like okay we tell them put the phone off for a day. You know it's a panic for young people to do that but we, we but when they go through they really see that there are so many things to learn uh, without being on the screen um, but uh, going that directly to the answer i think it's more it's more difficult for younger generations because they are in a really cloud of information it's completely not free if uh, now right. uh, it's functioning you know if you want to uh, dilute someone it's not less information, but just flood him with information. So he will be lost. 
and this is what is happening every day to to, mm -hmm. to younger generations that grow up with uh, phones and screens and receiving a lot of information. So it's a it's a, it's a really challenging situation. Yeah, but uh, another aspect of technology is that, for example, every action that you do, it's more visible. If you do uh, 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 something that protects the environment, it's easier to spread the message. And we have, I understand what you're saying, but we also have the, the other side of being able to expand the, the message and tell more people about the good things that we are doing Uh, to the environment. Are you more optimistic or more pessimistic with technology? I try to be realist, but in this situation, I'm more pessimistic probably if I have to choose between the two because uh, uh, it's used for propaganda and democracy is under threat. It's a puppet theater. If you've seen Cambridge Analytica and uh, we have seen what can be done with the manipulation through technology, That's why uh, we need to, you know, face our demons uh, inside and the people that are in power, like elections, politicians and corporations that have the money and that have the influence. Um, you know, uh, I'm pessimistic because I think that, yes, we will spread what we have done good, uh, but it will just reach to people that are already doing good. Because the algorithm is connected to your followers that you're already in this community. Right. But how to reach the people that are that are not aware and that are just going under fake news and, you know, all, all this because they're in another. So it's like different groups in different channels. The algorithm is uh, putting uh, and, and of course we can use it to bridge. But I'm just more pessimistic because, uh, yeah, it can be with uh, what we have seen so far. It's being used for the wrong purposes mm -hmm, mm -hmm. by the influencers and the politicians. Yeah, but yet um, the, the the new generation has you know started also a, a new wave of activism with you know Fridays for Future and how do you see the the climate awareness and eco awareness of the new generation? It's improving, uh, and yes, Fridays for Future it's becoming global. Like this is one of the good things um, that we can create and lead and nurture some global awareness. Um, yet the decision makers are, 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 are still not following that. Uh, mm -hmm. It's because they are uh, stuck in this economic system that um, economic growth addiction that just uh, is, 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 is pulling the system itself uh, towards uh, not achieving the climate tar targets. You know, young people are still not attached with their salaries, babies, children, money, bonus, going to vacation there and, and that, you know, the, like, like the credits. And, and that's why like the desire is pure mm -hmm. and probably they are uh, aware. Also the decision makers and the older generations are, are, are probably aware. I mean, uh, you know, climate change is an existential threat for humanity. Uh, all five mass extinctions that have happened in the history of our planet has been caused by the global warming, climate change, or the CO2 mm -hmm. emissions. For uh, for a mass extinction to occur in, in previous time, it would take a million years for volcanoes and forest fires to get that CO2 in the level. But we as humanity have achieved this to happen in 200 years with uh, burning fossil fuels and cutting the forest that takes the CO2. We have managed to do this in 200 years and we are uh, under existential threat as humanity. 
uh, and on the verge of a sixth mass extinction by uh, humans. The planet Earth will go on. Uh, these are the facts and this is science. But then when we think the 200 years uh, have uh, been put in a, a system that by itself is going into that direction. GDP, the main narrative is we need to grow GDP of every politician because this brings employment. Mm -hmm. GDP grows if we cut a mountain for coal, GDP grows. If we uh, make uh, deforestation because of natural resources and mineral, GDP grows. So uh, we cannot continue in a economic growth mantra and addiction with GDP as a measure of success if we want to achieve climate, uh, uh, climate targets. But now the whole system, financial system, economic system, the World Bank and institutions are measuring countries' success according to their GDP economic growth. So we're put in a country in development then Africa is put in developing countries, and then we have the Western world, which is developed uh, world based on economic indicators. If we see environmental and social indicators that uh, countries uh, have high air pollution, there is social inequality. If we put these indicators, maybe the map will look different. Mm -hmm. But at the moment we are being uh, evaluated, uh, how are we successful or not this country according to the GDP, which is a, uh, crude measure of success and uh, progress, and it should be re-evaluated, and this should happen on a macro scale. Yeah, but let me ask you something. If we cut down the big industries nowadays that are based on fossil uh, fuels or in other practices um, like um, agriculture or uh, other industries that are based on practices that are not sustainable, if we cut them off, if suddenly we would say, okay, we need to green this planet, we need to regreen it, let's stop these industries, wouldn't young people suffer with unemployment rates? Wouldn't they be more exposed to unemployment then? Suffering happens anyways. So if we continue with fossil fuels, suffering happens Mm -hmm. as well, because social inequality, because exploitation of, of natural resources. So su suffering is happening in any case. Mm -hmm. uh, the choice is uh, if we um, if we're going to, uh, you know, data shows that 40% of world employment mm -hmm. is uh, dependent on ecosystem services. Okay, so the ecosystem services em employs around 1.2 billion pe people of total uh, em employment. So uh, cutting the branch that we sit on is 40% of or 1.2 billion jobs that will be uh, left uh, uh, jobless. Mm -hmm. uh, and uh, the choice is if we continue, uh, if we choose solar industry and energy efficiency uh, and circular economy, uh, the International Energy a a Agency made a model by 2030, we'll have 18 million net jobs in the renewable energy sector. 18, one eight, right? One eight million jobs. And I'm talking about, uh, these are sources from ILO, the International Labor Organization. It had a report on the World and Employment Social Outlook. The report is greening with jobs. Mm -hmm. So in this report, Greening with Jobs by ELO, ELO is the UN Agency for Labor, uh, they have modeled um, a scenario by 2030, if we uh, leave coal and uh, oil and gas and we go to the renewable energy, by 2030 we'll have 18 million net jobs. I'm saying net because uh, mi millions of jobs will be lost 
but also millions of jobs uh, 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 will be gained. Mm -hmm. uh, so we have 18 million jobs plus. Uh, in the circular economy, if we increase the recycling ta 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 targets by 5% annually, mm -hmm. we will have uh, 6 million more jobs in the global economy. Okay, so this is if we focus on recycling and reparation. Okay. You know? But then you have here industries that are from previous like incineration of waste. Mm -hmm. Then you have the big lobby of waste incineration. Uh, then you have the big oil lobby and coal lobby and, and also uh, even the even the numbers uh, are there and you can see the benefits of greening the, the economy by 2030 by 20 you know these are like more 10 20 years goals uh, we still have uh, decision makers and lobbying that are pushing for their agenda because it gives them money because this has been doing in the last 200 years so the choice is clear but the process, uh, of suffering, it will either increase or decrease. In any case, will continue. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Because that, that's that's I think one of one of the um, arguments that I, I hear a lot of people uh, saying is that okay, we cannot just change like that because uh, it will cause um, other kinds of social problems. So um, or. There is the argument that a lot of green economies are actually polluting more than um, than the current uh, ones. It's not an uh, it's not an argument. It's uh, just a reason uh, to stay as usual because it's the most comfortable. Yeah. Uh, 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 if we on the first uh, argument in terms of the social and employment, like I always challenge entrepreneurship as such if it's not mm -hmm. social entrepreneurship. Why? Because if we create more jobs in an unsustainable system or sector, we are just harming what is happening next. So we cannot think of more jobs in oil and coal and entrepreneurship because it will. Uh, it, it, we need to focus on, we cannot force employment in a rotten system. So that's why I value youth work and youth innovation social because these are innovations that can come up and create jobs from something that is more sustainable instead of creating jobs in the current system. So that's the first thing that we should all challenge and we should have a like starting point from. Right. Uh, the, the second point, uh, the, the argument was about... Um, about uh, that the greener economy sometimes are uh, yes. more polluting, more harming for the planet. Uh, we are polluting as we are talking. We are releasing CO2. So whatever we do, we pollute. Maybe we should right? shut up. <laughs> <laughs> then we breathe. Yeah. Okay. But uh, that's the point. We shut up and then we uh, pollute less. Right. So uh, the, the, the point is that, yes, solar panels to be constructed, you need aluminum, you need materials. Those materials need to come from mines, either virgin materials. Let's hope not, but it might come from the virgin materials or it might come from something that is recycled. But again, it's a material because in the recycling process, you still have CO2. For recycling to happen, you need to go and burn something or make it from this to that. But at least the process that is going to come out is going to use for a purpose that will be less polluting. Mm -hmm. it's, I'm not saying, and we are not saying that greening the economies is not going to pollute, it's going to pollute less and we'll try to achieve climate targets, which are on global level is not to go over two, global, uh, two degrees Celsius. 1.5 is for small island and coastal countries. And on the current path, we are one degree Celsius. If we continue business as usual, 2040, 
we will go above two degrees Celsius. This means that we will go in an irreversible process beyond human control because it will cause uh, more uh, ice that will melt or the tundra in Russia, and which is lying on methane. And when methane starts to uh, uh, release, then we cannot, uh, then it will be warmer. The warmer will release more methane and methane is much more powerful greenhouse gas emission than CO2. And then it's going into irreversible process. And that's why the climate target is not to go over two, two degrees Celsius. So we're not saying, and, and for that to happen, countries need to be climate neutral, meaning that the net zero uh, CO2 or greenhouse gas emissions need, need to be nulla. The country of the, my country will release CO2, but it has to have enough forest that will capture the, the, the yeah. CO2. So it's not that we are not going to release CO2. We're just going to uh, have capacity to absorb it before it goes into into mm -hmm. the into the atmosphere. Uh, I have a question because uh, one thing that usually comes up in the, these conversations, I think it's uh, a challenge because we are always speaking in a somehow distant future, 2040. And uh, I feel that uh, one thing that it's not fair is usually the people that are making the decisions, maybe most of them won't be here. So they don't care as much. So uh, I, I believe that the challenge is how can we give power to the ones that will be here in 2040? And Uh, it's part of the, the human nature to postpone, to, to put in the future the decisions that need to be done. And, uh, um, and we saw, for example, in COVID that when things got really tough, decisions were made all of a sudden. So what does it need to happen to make the decisions today? Uh, climate, change, uh, climate change is happening for for years old, and we can feel the consequence. Uh, we can all see how uh, the temperature is rapidly changing from the day to the night. Uh, I think this we can feel. Uh, this is a result of a climate change consequence. This also influences, example, in my country, and I'm sure in other countries, the agriculture, the apples yields that were happened, they were supposed to to have. Um, They froze because in April uh, it was it was warm, but then during the night it came into zero, which never. And then like the just the the newly uh, the newly developed plants they died because it was too cold for them. Um, so climate change is already happening. We see with the water resources and how they're decreasing, and uh, so there are many effects uh, that are happening. You know, it's like uh, the boiling frog. Like if you if you put a frog in a cold uh, water and then you like just put the oven for a small temperature, then it increases, increases. It doesn't jump. It will boil in, in the water. But if you put it in a boiling water, it will jump uh, off. So we are actually the frog in the water that is getting warmer. But we are saying, ah, it's okay. It's warm. Yeah, let's take a uh, let's relax. Uh, but um, Uh, when we'll be boiling, it will be too late. So uh, how to... Now the summit in Great Britain, um, in Scotland, the uh, COP26, uh, we, we had five years ago the Paris Agreement that set this target of two degrees Celsius. It was in 2015. Uh, and now on 12 December is five years from the Paris Agreement. And now the countries need to revise their climate targets. 
because the climate targets that they have decided in 2014 for 15 was uh, not ambitious enough or it's going over three degrees global Celsius. So now they need to revise. So now is the time to put pressure on the politicians uh, and decision makers in our ministries uh, to put higher and, uh, and ambitious, more ambitious climate targets. This means really uh, re um, greening the economy, the energy sector is, 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 is especially, and the resources, uh, the mines. Uh, so now is the time to push for decision makers to uh, give higher ambitious targets um, that will be committed to the climate summit of UN in Great Britain, the COP26 in Scotland that is happening in 2021. It's postponed because of COVID. Uh, how? Uh, it's by talking about this and understanding it very seriously that the water is boiling now and we should jump off now because it's a really existential uh, threat. It's, uh, we're on the verge of six max extinction and it's just uh, gonna go and we're gonna boil uh, with it if we don't uh, jump. But to give up power is the most difficult thing for humans and that's why I'm pessimistic. So you are a uh, eco-activist pessimist. <laughs> I, I try to be a realist, you know, and I'm like having all this project level climate ambition. And now we're just starting this uh, young climate ambassadors project and like teaching and like deep talking. And But uh, I, I don't think people and decision makers are uh, understanding how serious is this. Yes, uh, you're right. Because I, 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 I'm also the same. I'm also the, the normally amongst other practitioners. I'm the one who says I'm doing all this, but I don't believe we're still in time for everything to change. But it's the only thing we can do, actually, morally, ethically. Yes, yes. Uh, we need to give up power. And this rarely happens. Uh, to give up power is the probably most difficult thing. Like, And we need to uh, learn how to live with less. When we have been learning in the 200 years how to live with more, now the, the paradigm should be how to live well with less and give up from things. It's also yeah, in our personal lives. Human nature, yes. Yeah, but we're not living better. It's the thing, we're not happier. Yeah. <laughs> we're yeah. not yeah. living yeah. better not and happier. we have more. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yes. So it's not yes. the solution. Exactly. Yes, um, that, that takes me to the question about... Um, What do we need to prepare young people for? And I think you just started on that. I mean, um, it is a new competence to learn, to um, go against what society pushes and tells us is desirable, which is still material uh, wealth, um, traveling a lot, going faster, asking for more, growing, etc. Um, we need to ask young people or young people should be able to question that. And I think that would be uh, one of the competences we should be working with young people is the, that capacity to refrain from that. What, what other competences do you think uh, are urgent for them to have? The one that you just said, uh, learn to live uh, well with less. Mm -hmm. This is a big question mark that we need to reflect about. Uh, and young people should also like think about how to live well with less. Another one will be, you know, the challenge is psychological. Uh, it's a mental ch the challenge. Uh, we have seen how life is fragile uh, with, with COVID. We have, uh, we are witnessing that life is, is, is fragile firsthand. 
uh, and the crisis will just increase. Unfortunately, this is the scenario. I mean, like I would really like to talk about the, like the happy uh, side of it, but the, 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 the reality is that the crisis will increase. Now we are in the health crisis, the economic crisis, and then the environmental and the climate crisis is just it's just uh, happening alone. So in these uh, turbulent times, we need to have mental stability, psychological resilience. Mm-hmm. Young people need to know that no one looks, how, uh, no one knows how the job market will look like in 20 years. And the irony is that the jobs that we're being prepared now in schools will no longer exist. In 20 years, I can guarantee you that it will no uh, longer exist. So we are not preparing. Uh, uh, we don't know how the job market will look like. Not only because of climate change and consequence, but also about the autom- automatization of jobs, the machine learning, the artificial intelligence that uh, will take millions of, 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 of jobs. And not even that, when we're going to be ready for a job, probably in 10 years, it will be another job because that job will already be obsolete or be taken uh, uh, by machines and, and computers. So in these uh, turbulent times, a person needs to be resilient and uh, need to uh, learn how to reinvent himself, how to learn. So learning to learn is, mm-hmm. a, is, is a competence because we'll need to all the time, okay, if I've been, if I've been a doctor or, or, or a nurse or I've been in, in insurance and banking, now an algorithm is doing the insurance and banking and is calculating who is the most eligible for the credit. Okay, now I have to find another job. Okay, now I'm a yoga instructor because people need to be more connected with themselves. After a few years, then an algorithm is is uh, is hacking you what's the best exercise for you at the day because he knows your past of likes and shares and videos you watched. And because of that, he can analyze what's the best yoga practice for you today. So so, so, so even yoga teachers are being, are being obsolete. Then you need to think about something else Okay, now I can be a, a coder, and so the transition of job market is not going to be like in the industry revolution. It's going to be uh, rapid and scaling because of the threat of the digitalization. So young people should know that job, the job market in 2040, no one knows how to uh, will look like, and should be ready for learning and reinventing themselves. And the challenge is mental, uh, and not to go under depression. How to get out of the depression? How to be mentally stable? Yeah, I, I think that's that's incredible. I, I feel that already for us. I mean, I'm I'm in the middle of my life, and I feel that's the competences I should have right now. And now, exactly the young people um, in the future. So, what advices would you give to youth workers in order to help young people who will have to deal with all these consequences? Become okay. I'm going to start with the environmental because mm-hmm. it's also uh, it's very important to become energy conscious. Um, if you think of your day, try to reflect. Okay, I get up. What, what do I do? Try to go to the whole day and see what kind of uh, carbon footprint are you leaving or environmental food footprint are you leaving. So, I am brushing my teeth. Am I leaving the, the water running when I'm brushing the teeth? I'm brushing my teeth with a plastic toothbrush or uh, with a wooden one. Am I uh, am I having the cosmetics too much in my toilet or too less? If it's too much, why am so much using the chemical chemical industry? So you you are in the toilet. You're reflecting about what you're doing. Try to think what can I do less, and do I really need this? Mm-hmm. How can I save more energy, water? 
and resources. Then you go and make yourself coffee or tea. That coffee or tea can be made on a boiler or on a stove and try to think where this energy comes from. Is it gas? Is it coal? Is it oil? Is it uh, solar energy? So try to think where this energy comes from. Try to use something that uses less energy because the energy efficient is the first thing that we can do. Uh, and if it goes into coal and if you want to change something in the energy system, try to see with your municipality, can I choose another energy provider? Because now in, in more developed countries, you can choose energy providers. In our countries, we're still under monopoly. Uh, but uh, try to uh, try to think about this. Then you go to work or job or school, are you using your transport? So think about the transport. Uh, think about when you go in the supermarket, are you buying uh, something that can be recycled? Are you buying from a big corporation or are you going to the local local groceries? What's the difference of buying in big corporation, supermarket and local groceries? If you're buying that, can I recycle and separate or it's something that I cannot recycle? And separate. So going through a whole day and thinking of all the resources you're consuming, think about why, how, and how can I reduce my environmental footprint. Try to talk with your parents and educate others about this. This is the really practical things that you as an individual can, can do throughout the, 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 the day. Right. Um, being vegan or eating food or less meat is also a, a way to contribute a lot. Uh, do not even think of trying food. That's like the biggest thing you can do, not because so, so, so many people, poor people are dying. Of course, it's another reason not to throw food, but because of so many resources have been put into that meal that is so energy and resource intense that it's really a sin in this uh, crisis we're living to throw away food. Uh, that's why I'm a bit uh, fat because I'm like the garbage bin in my home. I really don't want to see anything in the, in the in the bin which is related to food. Uh, so try like really to re-examine. Even, even, even it's not really fresh, we eat it. I, I'm the same. Yes, me too. I, I take from the fridge. I'm like, oh my God, I need to eat this. I need to eat that. Um, so yeah, um, this is really important. Uh, and you, you like, it might sound not that important because we still live in some country comfort zone but if we try to like install these habits in us it's going to be easier for us when we're going to face shortages when you're going to face okay we don't have this we don't have that so how to face with less is the whole thing and try to make yourself to face with less even uh, when you have more yeah um what about professionally how can youth workers in their jobs through the privileged position they have of being uh, close to young people and at the same time many times being close to municipalities as well or to um, a bit bigger regional sometimes national um, educational systems and other systems what can youth workers do from their professional standpoint to support uh, this this change become eco-aware, I mean, become environmental aware and talk about this, Be let this be one of the topics in the trainings that you hold, environment and climate change. It's a serious topic that everyone should talk about and we should know to facilitate this process, like inform ourselves. This is one thing that, that we can contribute really. So we have this project, Green Youth Workers. I, I hope that, that, that in like, we should not put green youth workers. It will be normal that all youth workers are green and conscious and um, about this because it's very important. Another uh, thing that uh, they can do is uh, green jobs and greening the economy. Um, try to understand what kind of jobs and profiles the energy transition and this process will bring. 
uh, and try to set up training programs about this and try to, uh, like we are doing training programs here for uh, waste or secondary resources system and all the people that will be employed there, architects for so try to understand the job market in the green economy, uh, let's say. And of course, always challenge the economic system because at the moment is unsustainable. Uh, so become green youth worker, uh, develop trainings like this, discuss yoga, meditation is important, stay stable, uh, try to, you know, try, try to face young people with reality. That okay, this is the reality, not your Instagram and uh, and social media and uh, like digitalization. You know, talk about like watch social social that dilemma on Netflix. Uh, discuss about that. Uh, watch Yuval Noah Harari together with Tristan Harris that is uh, that is coming from Google that are talking about this. So inform yourself. This is a this is a threat. Try to be resilient to all these changes. So uh, for me, the biggest two issues that youth workers, all youth workers, youth workers is climate change, environmental sustainability, and the digitalization, optimization, and machine learning uh, that especially young people are faced with. Okay. Well, that's, that's I think, very good advices. Um, and we don't have an advice for you, but we do have a question for you from our previous guest. So we recycle questions here. Um, <laughs> and uh, who has a question for you? The green question is, what has been the most important innovation in youth work in the last five years for you? Uh, for me, I think I've already mentioned this a couple of times, is that really green youth workers, uh, like... Um, you know, greening the youth work field coming from education process. So working with the Minister of Education and the non-formal education sector and what are the competencies that green youth workers should have. So that this eco-awareness among youth workers is something that I'm passionate about. And I think it's something new, unfortunately new in the youth work uh, sector. Another one, um, you know, uh, <laughs> Having a formal body like union of youth workers is really important because youth workers are underestimated, underpaid, not recognized by society as something valuable to that uh, level. And they're facing with burnouts, they're facing with uh, not being paid and uh, making a union of youth workers like we have the European Youth Forum that is making the young people in youth policies. But youth policy as it is, is not enough for youth workers to be protected because youth work is a separate pillar, even from the EU youth strategy you have from the three pillars, youth, youth, youth work is one of them. And there is no representative body on a European level and even on country level, because we have been doing research in a different uh, European country that represents youth workers in front of institutions and then recognize them as a professional occupation. There's no schools, universities are mainly related to social workers. Okay, if you're social, then you're then you're a youth worker. But this is not the, the, the same, and this is the closest recognition that we get. So an innovation in the youth work field is really having a representative body like Union of Youth Workers that few countries have that will represent youth workers and will um, the society and institutions will recognize their value because at the moment is underappreciated. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah. Okay. And now Thank we you expect you to leave a green question. Uh, yeah. A green question for the next guest. The green question. 
My Give me a yellow question. Yes. Okay. Yellow, least, greenish. Okay, yellow, yeah, yellow. A little bit of green. Uh, what work do you expect to do in 2050 was initially what I planned. Uh, to, 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 but uh, let's say, uh, what are the pleasures of uh, living well with less? Okay. Okay. That is a green question. Definitely. Yes. Yes, it is. It's to reduce <laughs> consumption. But let's see all the pleasures in reducing consumption. <laughs> okay. Okay, thank you very much. Antoni, it was really a pleasure talking to you. Uh, we will add uh, the links of many of the things you mentioned, like the ILO report um, and other and uh, other the conversations uh, on the on the internet that are there about these topics. We will add all these as links to our episodes so that our guests sure. can find them on the text that goes with it. Thank you so much for being with us and we wish you all the luck and uh, hope that the podcast can help spread the message. Yeah. Thank you. Same. Thank you. I hope we'll have more conversations on this topic. Thank you for inviting me. This podcast is powered by Tim Mais, UMAC, University of Applied Sciences, and New Network Partnership.